Well, here is our question today. What if there is an alternative? What if there is an alternative? I'm going to explain that question in just a minute. But that kind of question means you are listening to Poetry, Gossip, and the Pursuit of Pleasure with Dale Byron, your host, that's me. This is a place where, as we say, we look at poems in practical, down-to-earth ways to help us lighten the load, to help us live a little bit better. That's the kind of poems and poetry we look at. Okay, so let's dig right in. I've been doing a lot of thinking about an acronym lately that I think is quite damaging. That acronym is called TINA, T-I-N-A, and what it stands for is there is no alternative, TINA. There is no alternative. And we are told there is no alternative in, in ways that I think are very distressing. And ultimately, when that washes over us as though that were the truth, it becomes uh, a matter of um, that can actually lead to quite a bit of despair. And so I want to talk about um, I want to talk about that today. And I want to bring a poem that I think is going to help us see this whole Tina, there is no alternative in a different way to see that there is some interesting alternatives. So we're told, for example, that in economics, our system uh, creates a huge inequality, creates uh, bubbles, creates all sorts of uh, pain and trauma. And yet we're told that's, that's the best system. You know, because human beings are greedy, and um, it's it's the best we can do. No matter how many downsides, it's the best we can do. There is no alternative. Uh, and in politics, we're told, at least in recent decades uh, or so, we've been told, look, uh, money is speech. Money rules. And those people that have a lot of money... Uh, just naturally are going to have more say. Now, it's not quite put that quite that bluntly, but we get the message. And the message is, hey, there's no alternative. The people with lots of money have lots of say. And then when it comes to ecology, which I've spoken to a lot on this, uh, the natural world, ecological concerns, overshoot, I've spoken a lot to on this podcast. Um, we are told that, um, you know, pretend greenwashing or uh, that companies that just constantly break promises in terms of their ecological um, uh, promises and what they're going to do. We're told that externality accounting where you don't you just don't count. You don't count the air. You don't count the health of the oceans. You don't count the health of ecosystems. You, you know, it's just those are external to what we account for. For. And we're told that's just that's that's the system. That's that's the way it is. That's there is no alternative. So I was thinking, um, I was reading a poem that I've known about for many years. This is a poem by the great German poet Rilke, and it was one of his most famous poems. It's called The Panther. And this originally written uh, in German, and this translation was done by the amazing Robert Bly. So um, 
let me do the poem. And then um, I want to make the point. I want to tie all this together. Yeah, just stay with me, please. I want to tie all this together because, you know, this business of we're told there is no alternative and it's just the way it is. And we just sort of kind of trudge on thinking that, well, I guess that's the way it is. We can't really hope for anything different or better. Panther by Rilke, Robert Bly translation. It goes like this. From seeing the bars... From seeing the bars, his seeing is so exhausted. And you can immediately tell that we are watching a panther, that this poem is speaking about a panther that is in a cage. That's, that's what we know from the first line. From seeing the bars, his seeing, his seeing is so exhausted that it no longer holds anything anymore. To him, the world is bars, a hundred thousand bars, and behind the bars, nothing. The live swinging of that rhythmical, easy stride, which circles down to the tiniest hub, is like a dance, is like a dance of energy around a point in which a great will stands stunned and numb. Only at times the curtains of the pupil rise without a sound, without a sound. Then a shape enters slips through the tightened silence of the shoulders, reaches the heart, and dies. Now that poem is, in many ways, um, a difficult poem, and yet it's so beautifully expressive of what we imagine happens to this great being, this majestic being, this great will in a cage, this panther in a cage. And the insight that I had is that if you were going to come up with some immutable laws about the characteristics of a panther, the essence of being a panther, the last place you would go would be to a zoo to see a panther long confined in a small cage, crazed in that small cage. You would not extrapolate characteristics about being a panther and the qualities of being a panther from watching a panther that had been driven mad by being in a cage. 
Now, I'm going to push this uh, analogy a little extreme. Of course, I know I understand I'm doing that, but I'm, I want to do it to make my point. When we make rules about human nature, about politics, about economics, about corporate behavior, when we make rules up about possibilities and visions, and what we do is we use the current environment, which quite honestly, I think in many, many ways, the current economic system traumatizes people with all sorts of threats and the essential, the, uh, you know, threats of if you do this, then you will be out of work. And if you're out of work, you may be out of luck. Now, again, uh, I'm not saying every place in every situation, but I'm saying in general, if you think about the bubbles and the swings and the and and um, uh, when there's a, a bubble burst like the housing bubble in 2008, and how many people were thrown out of their homes, how many people lost their homes, how many people uh, lost their jobs, how many people did not know from week to week, from paycheck to paycheck, if they had a paycheck, they had no idea about any stability. That is traumatizing. So we make and extrapolate characteristics from an environment that is does not give us, to say the least, good quality information, not for our economics, not for our politics, and certainly not for our ecological concerns that we have. From seeing the bars, his seeing is so exhausted that it no longer holds anything anymore. To him, the world is bars, a hundred thousand bars, and behind the bars, nothing. The lithe swinging of that rhythmical, easy stride which circles down to the tiniest hub is like a dance of energy around a point in which a great will stands stunned and numb. Only at times the curtains of the pupil rise without a sound, then a shape enters, slips through the tightened silence of the shoulders, reaches the heart, and dies. Again, The Panther by Rilke, translation Robert Bly. Um, if you consider a statistic that I saw, and I believe it is still true, that there is some huge majority of people um, in the United States in particular that um, could not withstand a unexpected bill of I think this they said like six or seven hundred dollars that that would throw them into a tailspin 
So essentially, a massive number of people living paycheck to paycheck with little or no security. Now, uh, I'm not saying this analogy is absolute. You know, it's it it's it's not that um, every human being is traumatized at this level, but I'm just saying, again, as a hopeful thing, this is a a kind of hopeful vision that that to see that we don't look at the particulars, you know, you put people in a, in a, in a context, in a system, uh, you drop them in that and then make uh, generalized, uh, extract generalized statements about their characteristics. That if we were to be able to change that system, that context, to allow more freedom in a real sense. Not just freedom to, but freedom from worry, anxiety, insecurity, that we would see potentially many different characteristics from those beings, just like we imagine. What would we see in the wild with a panther different than what is described by Rilke as he sat in that Paris zoo in 1903 and watched that panther pace up and down, up and down in a traumatized way. So I want to end with a poem that I think steps into the vision of what we're talking about, that if we were to give economics, politics, ecology, the natural world, ourselves, half a chance, what could happen? What will happen? Well, here's a poem that speaks a little to that. And uh, this is how we'll end our podcast today. It's called Half a Chance, Half a Chance. Give Mother Nature half a chance. Give Mother Nature half a chance, and she will turn some pain to joy. A green so deep, your eyes will hurt, but the hurt will be of an utter amazement. We've thrown every curveball we could think of at our mother. We've thrown every curveball. <laughs> We could think of at our mother, forests burning, oceans churning, plastic dust, tiny glaciers that don't even recognize themselves. And forever chemicals, even worse than DDT. We've tugged and torn hills, top mountains, grown miles of trees like thin, starving soldiers marching toward the unforgiving saws of war. But still, but still, every year comes the green spring love. But still, every year comes the green spring love. A forgiveness that would make a prophet blush. A turning of cheeks. A loving of thy enemies. Giving everything to the poor and then more. Oh, yes, indeed. Oh, yes, indeed. That's old Mother Nature.
for you. Half a chance. It's a poem I uh, wrote earlier this year. As I was imagining how, how much gratitude I have for Mother Nature, despite the load that we're putting. Um, I was going to say on Mother Nature. It's actually on ourselves. We are Mother Nature. You know, when people say uh, we, we don't live on the earth, we live in the earth, of the earth. Like an apple tree apples, as the great philosopher Alan Watts once said, the earth peoples. The earth peoples. Give Mother Nature half a chance, and she will turn some pain to joy. A green so deep your eyes will hurt, but the hurt of an utter amazement. We've thrown, we've thrown every curveball we could think of at our mother. Forests burning, oceans churning, plastic dust, tiny glaciers that don't even recognize themselves. And forever chemicals, even worse than DDT, we've tugged and torn hills, topped mountains, grown miles of trees like starving soldiers marching toward the unforgiving saws of war. But still, every year comes this green spring love of forgiveness that would make a prophet blush, a turning of cheeks a loving of thy enemies, giving everything to the poor and then more. Oh, yes, indeed. That's old Mother Nature for you. So, if somebody begins to say to you, there is no alternative, and often people won't say it quite that directly, but they'll infer it, and they'll say all sorts of things like, well, it's, it's the best we can, you know, we have to accept it. That's the best we can do. People are greedy. People are mean. Things work, you know, be a realist. Well, of course, we human beings, we can be greedy. We can be mean. We can be small. But we're also, we are Mother Nature, given half a chance we can return in a vibrant, amazing way. In a huge way, we can do that. There is an alternative. And if we will create a context, what I like to say sometimes, if we will pickle ourselves differently, if we will pickle ourselves differently, we can get, we can have um, a different alternative, a more human alternative uh, in politics, a more uh, pro-social, as the saying goes, a more pro-social politics, a more pro-social um, uh, uh, economics. And we can have an earth that we live not in war with, but in full, deep respect and connection with. Okay, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. 
As always, thank you for your listening ear. And, uh, you know, again, as I always say, if you found, if you learned something, if you were felt a little sense of inspiration, then please send this uh, podcast along to a friend or to a colleague that you think that might enjoy it. And uh, that would be great. So, as I always say, also, until next time and next poem or poems, take good care of yourself.